All right, all right. I know some of you are thinking, hey, is that all with worship? No, we're going to worship more. Don't worry about that. Uh, but I do want to get in the Word. We are doing things a little bit different. We're trying to keep services a little shorter because uh, a lot of different reasons. We want to make sure we got plenty of transition time in between the services. We also got some kids in the house. Welcome in here, kids. We're so glad you're here. It's so interesting because before this whole thing happened, we were planning on having a family service where we invited all the kid life age kids in here to join us during service. And so, hey, what do you know? We're having our family service. Uh, But I also know what it's like having kids in service. And I want to let you know this. Look, I've got four kids. I've had my kids in services with me. I know how they can be. Don't worry about it. If they get a little noisy or a little antsy or whatever, they're kids. It's okay. Let them just be kids. We'll all be all right, okay? I just want to encourage you, relax with that. We can deal with it. We don't mind at all. We're glad that they're here. It is Father's Day, but it is also the mama of the house, Cody's birthday today. Come on, give it up for my bride. She turns 30 today, and that is amazing. It's the ninth time. So that's cool. Uh, but I love you, baby. I hope you feel honored today. Uh, <laughs> uh, when we were standing down there on the floor, I said, man, every day should be Father's Day. She's like, no. And, uh, no, you get one day a year, big boy. I was like, oh, okay, well, fine. No, no, that's fine. But I, I, I know uh, it is Father's Day. Uh, some of us were young fathers. Some of us Fathers-to-be, we got some expecting families in the house, and that's exciting. Uh, we have some with one kid, some with eight kids. We got some big families up in our, our church. Uh, we've got some granddads of like dozens of grandkids. If there's one thing that we know how to do in Cabot, it's have babies. We are, we are building the kingdom of God one way or the other. Uh, but I, I know this, that when it comes to Father's Day, a lot of the same dynamics happen with Father's Day is around Mother's Day. And that is not all of us had great dads. Some of us didn't have dads at all growing up. Some of us, Father's Day is a reminder that our dads are no longer with us. There's a lot of different dynamics that we could be dealing with. Um, but I do know this, there's only ever been one perfect father. And that is our heavenly father. He's the only one. Uh, and some of us, we grew up with amazing dads. And that's a blessing. Uh, but like I said, some of us didn't. But today we're not going to beat up on dads. It feels like for some reason or another, a lot of times Father's Day messages are like telling dads they need to be better dads. Uh, but we're not going to do that. We're, we're just going to remember that the word says that everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God and we all need God's grace. And I know there's a lot of dads in here right now. It's like, man, I just need that. I need to feel his grace today. Well, it's here for you. That is for sure. Uh, But today I want to talk about how a good church is a lot like a good dad. A good church is a lot like a good dad. And Matthew 12, 25 says this, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. I think this is so important because if you haven't recognized or realized there's a little bit of division out there in the world right now. And, and this is what I know. I know that regardless of, of anything that anyone's saying or doing, the Lord is the one that knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. And I think what's so important is that the church is united. We may have different opinions on the issues, but we need to be united according to the word of God and what it says and let it be our ultimate standard of, of everything that we do. And, and I know that if we can do that, 
Look, we're going to respond to the world around us the way that God would want us to respond. But I do know this, that when we're divided, we cannot love the world like God has called us to love the world. There's no doubt about that. Having divided hearts cannot and will not give us undivided attention to God. We, we, have, to, we have to have our hearts in unison. And so I think a good church understands that. Uh, we have to go and, because this verse, it actually says later on in this passage, it says that Satan is the real enemy. And, and it says that Satan can't drive out Satan. So the only way that the enemy can be defeated is for the church to be the church that God created it to be, to be the bride of Christ. And the only way that can be done is by the Spirit of God and having unity. John 13, 35 says this, By this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. By that, that's, that's how everyone's going to know not by anything else we say or do. It's just going to be by how we love each other first. That's what the world is looking to. That's the example that it needs. We have to love people even more than we love our own observations. And I think that it's impossible to do this on social media. It is impossible to love people more than our own observations and opinions on social media. Just too much gets, because even if you come up with this like really well-articulated, brilliant, smart post that, that could start really life-giving, I promise you the thread under that's probably not gonna stay that way. <laughs> so it's just like, you can't really win for losing. Uh, I, I certainly don't think that you're gonna find it in the news. You're not going to find an undivided heart watching the news. And I don't care what channel you're watching. It, it just isn't, it, it destroys unity. I don't think we're going to find what we need as the body of Christ or as a church on those platforms. What I love is that we have an opportunity to listen and learn and grow. I think if we take the amount of time that we might spend on social media or the amount of time we'd spend watching the news and spend that time in prayer and devotion to the things of God every day, then we could be the answer that the world needs, the body of Christ. I know that's a strong challenge, but it's been a challenge for me because I know how easily I tend to go towards those platforms and go to social media and go to the news and all those types of things. But man, I started thinking, man, I need to do a lot more praying and worrying about me becoming the man that God has called me to be than I need to worry about what everyone else is saying and doing. So I just wanna throw that out there. What I like though is that in this church we have people from all types of backgrounds. I love that. I love that we have people with all different types of views. I love that. I think that there's a lot that we can learn from each other but we have to stay humble and teachable. So five ways that I think the church should be like a good father. First of all, we've got to protect. We must protect. And I think we have to be proactive in our protection. As a dad, I get this. 
I'm always trying to keep my kids safe, as safe as possible. I mean, I, I, I don't, at one point or another, I, I can't be a helicopter parent. You know, I can't be this person that's just constantly, because at one point or another, I want them to understand personal responsibility. But there's some things I'm definitely trying to keep them safe from. Like a while back, we went hiking in these woods that were across the street from our house. And when we got into the woods, I said, kids, I need you to kind of stay behind me because snakes are out right now. And, and they're just starting to move around, and I just want to make sure that none of us get bit by a snake. So I just need you to stay behind me because I, I, I'll see them and, and I'll deal with them. And, and, but the kids were like real excited, you know, and so every once in a while they get out in front of me, and I'd be like, no, I need you, you know, stay behind me, stay behind me. But eventually one of my sons, he got out in front of me, and as soon as he started running out in front of me, he came about two foot away from a copperhead right there in the middle of the path. So I yelled at him. And I said, stop, don't move. And then I went over and stepped on that snake's head because that's what a man does, all right? I went and dealt with that thing. Okay, killed it. But I will say when I yelled at my son, I did not yell at him in a nice way. Now that would be an example of me protecting and, and, and really sincerely caring about the safety of my kid. But there have been other times that I have yelled when if I was just being honest, I was more worried about my own guideline and my own rule and wanting people to respect me than I was actually worried about protecting them. And I think all of us can be guilty of this. So the question is this, do you really sincerely have a heart to protect people or are you just being a butt sometimes? Because I know as a dad, there's been times when I was protecting and other times when I was just being a butt because I wanted somebody to respect my rule that I gave them. It is funny. And so, when it comes to our lives, the Lord is looking out for our well-being. I know for my kids, sometimes it gets on their nerves. I got a teenage daughter right now. You better believe I'm gonna grill her Every time she wants to leave the house, where are you going? How long are you going to be there? Who are you hanging out with? Why are you wearing that? What time are you going to be home? I'll tell you what time you're going to be home. I'll tell you, I, do you know how many guns I own? I, I just want you to let those guys know how many guns I own. I have every caliber. I'm a really good shot. I want, to, I want them to know about all this. And that might become obnoxious at one point or another. But I'm just trying to protect and care. I think we have to have a heart as a church that truly is proactive in protecting people. So how does that, what does that look like? Well, I think it looks like discipleship. And I think it looks like godly accountability. John Wesley, this guy, he was a discipling fool, but when he would meet, he had a group of men that he would meet with and he'd ask him the same questions every time he'd meet with them. And it was around kind of the big areas of their life. How are you doing with your finances? Are you being generous? How are you doing with lust? How are you doing just with the things that you're being tempted with in your life? How are you doing with relationships? How are you doing with your time in the word? How are you doing with your time in prayer? Those things were important because those are the ways that you love and protect people. It's by keeping them reminded and accountable to who God has called them to be. And we all have to stay humble and teachable to other people challenging us in different areas of our lives. I've learned a lot lately. I have learned a lot lately. And I know that I can't truly protect people if they don't know that I love them. 
If they don't believe, they have to believe that I love them. It doesn't matter how much I believe that I love them. They have to believe that I love them. Um, So I'm just trying to have empathy with where people are at. One of the things that I've definitely learned is there is a lot of pain out there. And the pain that people have, a lot of times it's more real than you may agree with, but that doesn't mean that their pain isn't real. But because you don't agree with where they may be at, that's part of the problem. But you can't protect people and love people and speak truth into people until you've led with the kind of grace that Jesus would have for them first. I've told my kidney stone story before. That's the most pain that I've ever been in my life. Anybody ever had a kidney stone before? Okay, these are my people. They just understand. Like they, it, it, is, it is one of the most painful experiences that I've ever been through. But when I had my kidney stone, I was like just in fetal position on the emergency room floor, just waiting. And, and, and eventually when they got me back, they said, you know, what's your pain level? And that's where I'm like, do I really want to act tough right now? You know, or do I want to just be honest? And so I, I, went, I didn't want to go over the top because I, I wanted to say like 11. Sir, that's not one of the numbers. I know, like I'm beyond. But I went with eight. I said eight because like, Comedian said one time that you should just say eight, and then that's when they give you the morphine. And I was excited about that. And, uh, and so I said eight, but I'll tell you this. When I told them that I was an eight in my pain on the scale, none of them said, no, you're not. No, you're not. Not really. You know what else they didn't say? They didn't say, well, my kidney hurts too. They didn't say that. Uh, because they'd be a really bad doctor or nurse if they did that. That would not be empathy. That would not be caring. So if we really want to protect people, we have to feel their pain first and love them. I think a good father understands that. It says in Micah 6, 8, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? One of the things I've learned, I'm really only good at one thing, and that's pastoring people. Some people think that maybe I'm more smart than I actually am. I'm really not that smart. I really just know, I know how to do a few things. I know how to teach and do my best to teach a complicated Bible to people. I know how to serve people. I know how to help people navigate relationships. I know how to disciple people. And I'm just trying to kind of stay in my sweet spot. And if I'll do that and listen, God will give me opportunities to truly love people where they're at. And when their hearts are open, can also help me give an, have an opportunity to speak truth into them that can protect them. Also, they're providers. They're providers. First Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those in his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A good church provides help to the hurting with giving, with friendship, counsel, advice, insight, 
a good father, like a good church, cannot be stingy. You have to be willing to give. And so I love that when stuff like this has happened around our nation or even in our state, that as a, as a church, we've stepped up to look for the needs of other people before we look to how can we protect ourselves. We look to the needs of others first. And so that means that we have to be generous. A good church is not stingy and neither are its members. So here's a question. How many stingy great churches do you know of? <laughs> like how many churches are really making a difference that you know that they're just stingy? Not making a difference. Another question that I've asked myself many times, if New Life Church and specifically New Life Church here in Cabot shut down, would anyone notice? They won't notice if we're stingy. But if we have a heart to give and help and serve and doing everything we can, then, then people would notice when we're not here. Also, they're promoters. They're promoters. Matthew three seventeen. a voice came from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. This is God the Father promoting Jesus. You've got to see this in his heart, but this is also who the church should be. We should be people that promote other people and support them and encourage them. Some of you may know, a lot of you may not, I don't know, but Marcus Brown, who's our campus pastor in Fort Smith, uh, he actually, over the last month, he's been down in Louisiana. He got the virus, um, but the sad part of the story is his dad got the virus. That's who Marcus got it from, and his dad passed away. He went to be with Jesus. And this is an amazing man of God, a, a pastor, an associate pastor of ours up in Fort Smith. He went down there to go to a funeral. He caught the virus at the funeral. And then Marcus, he didn't know that he had the virus, but Marcus and Marcus's son went down to visit him, and then they got the virus as well. And through this process, it actually got pretty dodgy for Marcus where he was struggling. He was not doing great. But one night when he, while he was sleeping, he had this dream. And the dream was him when he was a little boy and he was playing baseball. And he's out on the baseball field. And he saw his dad walk out towards him. But his dad was younger and he was healthy. And, and his dad walked out and he went and he picked him up. And he said, I just want you to know that I've always been proud of you. And I love you. You're an amazing young man. And then he woke up from the dream. And when he woke up from the dream, within moments, one of the nurses came in and said, we just want to let you know your dad just passed away. And so a lot of the nurses are saying, it was almost like your dad. And then, and then right after that, Marcus got much better and recovered. And they had to stay in quarantine, but they're back now. They're back in Fort Smith. But, but the nurses are saying, it's almost like your dad was holding on and hanging on until he knew that you were going to be okay. Who do we need to walk over to to pick them up and encourage them and promote them 
and let them know that we love them and that we care about them. We need to be there for people when they're hurting and we need to pick them up and we need to not quit on them until they get healthy again. Luke 17, 21 says this, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man, tr- in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Okay, so there's a lot in that verse, but this is the main question that I want to ask. If you're not a promoter of people, then you're a scatterer. Does your current attitude cause more healing and deliverance or does it cause more division? Also, they're priests. A good church, they're like priests. In Genesis 8, 19, it says, all the animals and the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Now, I think this is so important. Before Noah did anything else, before he built a house for himself, before he did anything with his family, before he did anything else, he built an altar before the Lord. This was his priority. The most important thing in my kid's life, more important than shelter over their head, more important than anything else that I could ever give them, more important than anything else they could ever participate in, the most important thing in my kid's life is their relationship with God. And as the priest of my home, I have to take responsibility and say, it's my role and responsibility that the first thing before anything else, our house is gonna serve the Lord. We're gonna have a relationship with him. And it's important that that altar is your number one priority because at one point or another, you're gonna need a place to bring the burdens of your life. You're gonna need a place to bring the burdens of raising kids. It's hard. A while back, we were out to dinner with a couple and we, we got a call and it was our next door neighbor across the street who's actually also a pastor. And, and he said, James, um, I, I wanna share everything's okay, uh, but your son Reeves was in our backyard playing and he went off a little ramp with his bike and he fell and he, I, I think his arms broke. I said, really? I was like, you, you're, you're pretty sure it's broke? He's like, yeah. I don't want to freak you out, but it's not on his arm in the right direction. It's in a different direction. And so, so he's like, I, I'm, he's in my car and I'm bringing him to you right now. And, and I was like, well, if that's kind of, he, like, he feels like this is an urgent situation. So this is a situation that I've, experienced multiple times with my kids where I've gotten calls or something has happened or, or even I could hear them screaming in pain and I couldn't see them, but I had to move my way towards them. But when moments like that happen and in that restaurant, I just reminded myself that my kids do not belong to me, they belong to God. And God has called me to steward their life, but at the end of the day, my kids are on the altar and God can do whatever he wants to with them. And I'm gonna trust him. But the thing is, I didn't build the altar in that moment. I'd already built the altar and made the decision way before that, that they were always going to belong to him and I could trust him no matter what. 
A good church has to have the priority to be a priest, to say God's gonna be number one, most important. Nothing else is more important. Also, they're prophets. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that you're able to speak into people and say things as though they are, even when it don't look like it. You're able to speak into people's lives the word of God, his promises, and his truth, even when it doesn't look like any of that's there. You encourage people. There are people who are seasons of pain and they need someone to come along and call things as though they are, even when they don't appear that way. In Genesis 35, it says this. Then they moved from Bethel, and while they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have had another son. As she breathed her last, for she is dying, she named her son Benoni, but his father named him Benjamin. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with the meaning of these names. Because Rachel, she's had a long season of pain. And she's in this painful place of giving birth. And as she's doing that, as she does, as she's doing that, she's, she's going to die. And in that place, she named her son Benoni, which means son of my sorrows. Son of my sorrows. So she was taking the pain and the hurt of her life and giving it to her son. But Jacob said, no, I'm not going to do that. He renamed him Benjamin, which means son of my strength. You see, I think there's a lot of people around us in the world out there right now that they are living in seasons of pain. Some of you have been living in seasons of pain. We're experiencing this. And what we don't need to do is hand this pain to another generation. We don't need to project. But the, here's the thing, that reality for some people is so real. It's just where they're at. It's where they live. And what we need to be as a church is someone that comes along and says, in spite of all this, this is what God says about you. This is how God sees you. God wants you to be healed. God wants you to be restored. We need you. We need you as a part of the body of Christ. You're gonna make this church stronger. And we need you to see that in you. We're gonna prophesy into people's lives about who God created them to be in spite of how they feel, in spite of the pain that they've been in, in spite of the, the story of their life. Someone asked me this last week, what was that pivotal moment in your life that you knew you were called into ministry? And I was like, look, it's hard for me to point to one individual situation because, because I, can't, I can't summarize the fullness of my testimony and how God used that to bring me to the point that I'm in. But I've had seasons of pain. I've had seasons of joy, but I've had more seasons of pain. 
It feels like then seasons of joy, but here's the difference. The difference is this. I chose to let God be a part of it, but I had people around me that prophesied into me that just simply said, James, in spite of being from a divorced family, in spite of every ounce of rejection you've ever felt, in spite of being homeless for so many years, in spite of all your learning disabilities, in spite of all the things that have happened in you, God can and still wants to use you. And this is what he says about you, and this is how he sees you, and this is who he wants you to be. And that encouragement lifted me out of the muck and the mire of my story. Because really the only difference between a story and a testimony, it's the same story, it's just one of them is put in the hands of God. And that makes it a testimony. And we have a lot of people around us, and some people even in this room, you need to see your testimony. And I want to just speak into it. Whatever the season of pain that it might have been, wherever you're feeling about your confidence and your identity in Christ, whether you've maybe believed the lie of the enemy that has condemned you and keeps shame on you and guilt on you because of past mistakes, whatever that may be, none of those things are how God sees you. When he sees you, he sees you as his own son, Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And he's got a call, he's got a plan, he's got a purpose, and he still wants to use you. And we love you, and we want you here, and we need you here. God's got something for you. I want to pray for you. Let's close your eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and you know you're just kind of away from God, you need a relationship with him. Maybe you had a relationship at one point or another, but you've drifted away from him, and maybe you need to come back to him. We'd call that rededicating your life. Or maybe you just never had a relationship with him, and you need him. If you're just really honest, you just don't have any confidence about what life after death would look like for you. You have no confidence about whether or not you have a relationship with him. If you're in either one of those places, I want to pray with you. No one's going to look around, and I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you, but if you're in that place, you just know that you need a relationship with God because he's speaking to your heart. I just want you to be courageous. I want you just to lift your hand right now. Nobody's looking around. If you know you're away from God and you need him, okay, I got you. Anybody else? As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Father God, I thank you for those couple of hands. And those folks, you just, just say this, say, Jesus, I need you. I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that you came, Jesus, and died on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. Would you come and give me a new life? I surrender, I repent. I wanna make you my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving me. And I just want to pray this over every person in this room, this prayer of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Let his face turn towards you and give you peace, the peace that transcends understanding. God, I pray that every person would accept that blessing, live in it. God, I thank you that you give us the grace and strength to be like a good father as a church, to be a church that, that understands that we protect people, 
that we provide for people's needs, that we're promoters of who they are and lift them up when they're down, that we're priests to our community and to our homes and put you as the priority. God, that we're like prophets that can speak life and truth and grace in the places where it seems like there is nothing. We thank you, God, for that role. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you believe it, put your hands together. Let's stand and worship God some more.